there and welcome to the When's My Time podcast. I'm Ozier, founder of whensmytime.com, and I aim to be your boss's worst nightmare. Well, it's Tuesday the 30th of August 2016, and I have to tell you it is a beautiful morning here in the UK. Carol's out walking Jack at the moment, and um, in fact, let's talk about that. I often talk about the fact that I'm out walking Jack, uh, Jack Russell Terrier, and Carol happens to be walking him this morning. I'm very jealous of her. I am too on such a morning as this. I've got a few bits and pieces to do here at home. But uh, let's talk about that. You see, here in the UK, one of the many benefits we have living here is the fact that we have rights of way over land. Now, some of it is um, right to roam wherever, and some of it is along public footpaths and bridleways. Now, if if the concept, I, I, I mean, I know access to land, the rights to access to land varies all over the world. And as I've said before, we've got listeners to this in every continent of the world, except I think still, I don't think we've got anyone in Antarctica. Uh, let me know if I'm wrong on that. But uh, here in the UK, we benefit from this these ancient rights of access. And there are footpaths. And there are bridleways. Footpaths is essentially what it sounds like. They're public footpaths, but over most often private land. Some of it is publicly owned land, but uh, they're paths that, uh, in the main, are made by no more than people walking. They're an impermanent, permanent feature, if you like. It's the people walking along those paths that makes them. And there are bridleways which also allow you to ride a horse along. So it's bridle as in B-R-I-D-L-E, as a uh, horse would wear, rather than bridle as in of a bride. There are also things called green lanes, but we won't won't go into those at a moment because I think we're already complicated enough and certainly more complicated than I'd uh, expected this to be. But the thing about uh, these footpaths and bridleways is, as I say, they're ancient. I remember a few years ago when it was my sad duty to um, to clear out my mum's house when we when she passed away and uh, we decided to sell it. And one of the things that I discovered there was an ordnance survey map. Now, oh, now that brings me on to a whole other so- subject, the ordnance survey. Now, we also, as well as living in a, a country that's blessed with this access over land from these uh, public footpaths, we also have the best, it sounds awfully jingoistic this, and I don't mean it to be that, but we have the best map country on earth from the point of view of different types of mapping. And the Ordnance Survey, which, as it sounds, was set up for, for uh, military purposes, is the main mapping service. Incredibly accurate maps that they produce, and in different for different people, they provide geological maps, they provide uh, just transport maps. Uh, but they also provide very detailed maps showing footpaths and elevations. If you know how to read a map properly, you can more or less visualise your route before you take it. You know what sort of terrain you're going to be going over. I, I found an, a very old Ordnance Survey map, a high detailed, a large scale map, which was, I think, and I should have dug it out, shouldn't I? But I think it was something ridiculous, uh, like four inches to the mile. So it was incredibly, incredibly detailed. It showed the, um, it even went down to showing the plot of land on which my parents' house stood. The, the house wasn't there then, but it went back to about, I think I'm right in saying, 1879. So now it's about uh, 130 odd years old. The reason I'm telling this and what particularly excited was my mum and dad, and I, I grew up in a village. Um, it was an expanding village, but it was a, a, certainly a village at the time uh, of my childhood. And at the top of the street, 
it's a very short street, only about 30 houses on it, was a stile that led out into the fields and a footpath across across the fields to uh, neighbouring villages. And on this map, this is what excited me, on this map, it showed that style, it showed that entry to the field. The field boundaries all remain the same, and indeed in the UK, all fields have a name. Now that's incredible, isn't it? Every farm names its fields, and those names go back centuries as well. But I, I'm wandering off the point, which is um, rather ironic, really, since we're talking about mapped paths. But on this map, it showed the footpaths leading off across the open fields to neighbouring villages. And what really excited me, typically, a footpath in the main will, for obvious reasons, keep to the boundaries of the field. Because if the field's got crops in, the the farmer doesn't want the crops trampled down. And um, neither does he want the aggravation of having to, I don't know, spray around those paths or or whatever. But in one of those neighbouring fields, the path nowadays takes a dog's leg. So it, it goes down the side of the boundary for a few yards. But then it forks. And one path continues along the boundary, but the other carries across the field at a diagonal. And blow me, at exactly the same spot that it was doing and was shown on the map back in 1879. Now, for it to have appeared on the map in 1879, for for that route, that, that diversion across the field, to have appeared in 1879, it was already clearly in regular use. Now, this may sound nerdy, but it actually thrilled me to realise that, hang on a minute, when I walk that path, I'm doing the exact same thing that people have been doing for well over 100 years, maybe 200, maybe 300, maybe even longer. I'm following in exactly the same path. But the thing that makes that path is the fact of walking it. The farmer doesn't lay the trail. The, The owner of the field isn't putting a surface down. No, the only thing that makes that path, that continues that route, is the fact that we're walking. People in successive generations are walking the same route. Now, I have to tell you, this is not an isolated incident, by no means. I mean, as I say, I have no idea how many hundreds of years that particular path goes back. But it's not an isolated incident. This country is crisscrossed by so many of these paths. Do you know? I, I, I did look this up before before I came on because I just wondered how many footpaths there are in the UK. I wasn't able to find out the number of footpaths there are in the UK. In fact, I wasn't, in my quick search, able to f- discover any statistics for the UK as a whole. But what I did find out was that in England and Wales together, which is a relatively small area of land, but in England and Wales together, there are 140,000 miles of footpath. 140,000 miles of footpath. Now, we're a tiny island. That is incredible. Now, I was telling you that that, um, several of these paths are are extremely ancient. I know for a fact um, that the one called known as the Ridgeway. Now, there's a very famous path called the Ridgeway, which is a, a longish distance path. I think it's over 80 miles long. I think that's in Berkshire. I should have checked this, shouldn't I, before I came on? I, I'm, I'm dreadful at this sort of thing. But the, the footpath in Berkshire, known as the Ridgeway. Now, they know archaeological evidence has shown that that path has been in constant use for over 
5,000 years. Now, it's 5,000 years of people, just like you and me, walking along it, that make that path. Now, I find this, this connection with history both fascinating and humbling. I really do. And I love it. I absolutely love it. And this is going to sound really nerdy. Carol will tell you that quite often on a, a winter's evening, I will get out one of these detailed ordnance survey maps. And I will just follow in my head a walk. I'll follow the paths and, and follow the walk because I love it. Because, as I say, they're so detailed. They're a flat map, <laughs> but the, 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 the lines printed on it tell you the sort of terrain that you're going through. Yeah, I, and I will plan walks that way. Now, why, why am I going off on this tangent about paths? Well, here's the thing. Several thousand years ago, somebody found that the best route to take from point A to point B was along the ridgeway. Now, in all likelihood, the people who are using the ridgeway now and have used the ridgeway over all those years are not necessarily going from point A to point B. They're probably starting off at point Q and going to point M. <laughs> but part of that journey will be along the ridgeway. Because that's the best route, that's the best linking route, and they'll branch off from that. And it's the same with all footpaths. I mean, I walk footpaths around here regularly. Footpaths that other people from the village and other people from neighbouring villages walk regularly. Our start points and end points are very different. But we choose to use those paths rather than to try break new ground. We're not being pioneers. And that's the point of this message. When you decide that you're going to move away from corporate life, the temptation is, and the reason I'm telling you this, I know the temptation is this, because I felt this temptation myself. The temptation is to try to be a pioneer, to try to do something totally different, something totally new, because that, of course, is the way you can make a success of your life, isn't it? Well, no, it's not. Now, it's true that there are some people who come up with brand new ideas that we for products or services that we didn't even know we needed and that they make a success of it. But far more of those people will fall by the wayside. Far more of those ideals will fail. Far more of those ideas will die on the drawing board because they don't catch the public's imagination. They don't catch the insufficient customer's imagination. They don't actually serve a need other than the one imagined in the inventor's head. So what I'd say is don't be a pioneer. Follow the path. Look for other people who are doing the sort of thing that you want to do. It doesn't have to be exactly the same thing you want to do. Look for people who are doing the sort of thing that you want to do and are making a success of it. And that success leaves clues. Look at how they got from where they were to where they are now. What steps did they take? What strategies did they implement? And do the same. Their specific destination is not the same as yours. Their start point was not necessarily the same as yours. But along the route, it made far more sense to follow a well-trodden path rather than try and cut through the undergrowth. So look for those clues. Get close to people who are already succeeding in what you want to do, or succeeding in something similar, or just succeeding. And if you can, try to talk to them. Try to talk to them about that success. 
Do you know the one subject that most people love to talk about? I, I hold my hand up to it. And look, be honest, it probably applies to you. The one subject that most people like to talk about is themselves. So most people, provided you ask in the right way, provided you're polite in your inquiry, provided you're not overly persistent, and provided you accept it if they say, no, I'd rather not talk about that, or I'm a bit busy now, provided you're polite about it, most people will be quite happy to talk to you and discuss in general terms how they go about what they do. Now, don't expect them to give you inside business secrets that that are specific to their business, but most people are pretty approachable, provided you do it in the right way. And that way, they can be your ordnance survey. They can give you that detailed map. They can show you the way the footpath turns. They can show you the where to take that dog's leg across the field that people have been doing for hundreds of years that led them to their ultimate destination. And they can show you where to branch off to your specific destination. Does that make sense? I know this has been long-winded, and some of you might be thinking, gosh, that was a tenuous link, but it makes absolute sense to me. Look, if you've enjoyed this, if it has been mildly entertaining, if it's been mildly amusing, if you're thinking, what an idiot, tell your friends about it, because they'd probably like to listen to an idiot as well. Tell your friends about it, head over to iTunes, and don't forget to subscribe, because you won't want to miss out on any more of my lunacy either, will you? So head over to iTunes, subscribe. While you're there, leave me a review. Tell me what you like best about this. Look, if you hate it, tell me you hate it. And it would be great if you left me a bunch of stars too. And now I always love to see five stars. You know that. The reason I love to see f- five stars is it, it gives my overinflated ego a, a bit more of a pump up. I know. But let's face it, it's not for that. It's actually to make sure that this podcast rises up in the rankings and therefore will be found by more people who might also enjoy listening to my nonsense. Leave me a review, give me a bunch of stars, and you can also, if you want to talk to me in more detail, you can hit me up on Twitter, at Aussie Air, or email me, Aussie, at whensmytime.com. Now, on the subject of whensmytime.com, I've told you this before, it's still there waiting for you. Over at whensmytime.com, you can get access to a video I've recorded. It's about 40 minutes long, and in it, I reveal the top 10 things I've learned since I decided back in 2010 to ditch the corporate life forever. I've been Ozzy Air, founder of whensmytime.com, and I'm here to tell you, your time is now.